It's so good to be back here. I just wish I could clone your whole musician team and take it with me everywhere I go. <laughs> I, uh, I did something silly this week. I, uh, I commandeered the university's jazz band to be the surprise act in the student talent show. And we sang Sweet Home Chicago. <laughs> it, was a, it was an interesting experience. I don't get to sing with a full horn section too often. Boy, what a beautiful, beautiful worship set. And boy, I just felt the presence of Jesus here. Didn't you? It's the best thing in the world. Well, I am almost never call a pastor and ask for an invitation to speak. Almost never. I, I speak at a lot of churches, but I just take the invitations that come. I don't usually go trying to get into particular churches on a particular Sunday, but this time I called and asked Pastor Dan if I could come and, and share with you because I, I have a book coming out this season. It's called 40 Days of Christmas. Pastor, we really are talking about Christmas today, by the way. <laughs> um, and boy, the babies up here, they were so beautiful. They were, they were amazing. And uh, you can't, don't get me started talking about babies. But 40 Days of Christmas is my new book. And uh, I didn't intend to publish this book and have to sell it. Because, I mean, I love writing books better than anything I know. It just set me in the chair and let me write. And I'll write forever. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. But I hate selling books. And so that last year at Christmas, I, I had to put together three different Christmas devotionals for different parties at the university and with our donors and different things. And I knew there, there would be lots of repetition. So I had to come up with three different Christmas devotionals. And at our Christmas concert last year in Benaroya Hall in Seattle, um, I, I decided... Well, I'm going to take that Christmas devotional that I did tonight for the, for the donors, and I'm going, to, I'm going to write 40 days of Christmas devotionals for our donors. And I'll just self-publish the book, maybe publish, publish three or 400 copies of it for our best donors and give it to, I'll pay for it myself. I, I just want to give something to our donors personally. And so um, on the 15th of December, I sat down to write. And on that day, two big things happened. The first was a dear friend of mine died. His name was Calvin Holsinger. Some of you would have had him as a professor at Evangel College back in the old days. A dear friend of mine had moved to Seattle in his old age, and I would visit him at his home uh, um, on a periodic basis. And I just loved this man. He was such a, a brilliant man of God. And um, he died that day in the morning. And then later that morning, my second grandchild was born at my house on accident. <laughs> you may, how do you have a baby on accident? Well, my daughter managed to do it. <laughs> she, she's, she's talented. And uh, anyway, she was, she was born in 45 minutes. The water broke in 45 minutes. It was, hello, Miranda. She, her pastor preached on the Blitzkrieg baby for Christmas that year, and it was her and, and, and Jesus, her and Jesus. Uh, she really came to take charge. I mean, she wasn't doing any indecision about it. She was determined to come, just like Jesus was. And uh, it was a great day. And at the end of that day, I sat down in my chair, and I began writing on this book. On, the, on Epiphany, January the 6th, I was done. 
had written these 40 Christmas devotionals. And I thought, you know, last time I wrote a book and didn't let my agent see it, it was a mistake. So I sent it to my agent, who lives here in the Fort Worth area. Um, I sent him a copy of the book. He read it that morning. And then he called Broad Street Publishing. And he said, you've got to see this book. And I know you've already decided what you're going to publish this year, but you've got to look at this. Um, And so he sent it to them, and they read it that afternoon. And that evening, I had a book contract, at least the offer of one. I didn't sign the contract for a few days, but they were offering to publish the book that day. And Broad Street's a great gift book publisher. And so I was... You know, it was out of my hands. I felt like I had to do this, and that meant I would have to have a book tour and sell my book. (laughs) I don't want to sell my book, so I'm not going to sell it today. um, What I did was I gave the book to Northwest University, lock, stock, and barrel. I won't take any royalties from it. I won't take any book profits from it. I can only give it to you as a donation to Northwest University. If you give a donation of $15 today, you can have a copy of the book. And uh, uh, just... It's been amazing what's happened. I mean, to get a book contract in one day is impossible. My first book took seven years to get a contract, literally. And then after that, it's usually months and months, and usually it's for a year from now because by the time you send it to them, they've already decided what they're going to publish that year, and they don't make last-minute decisions except in special cases. (laughs) But um, it has just taken off. There are... Right now, there should be 600 copies left in the warehouse out of 10,000 printed. It's just going crazy. I mean, normally when I've got a book out, I'll sell one or maybe two. Uh, People are buying five or 10 or 20 because they're great Christmas gifts for their friends. And it's a little hardback book with an embossed cover and a golden ribbon uh, to go with it. And it's just, it's it's a beautiful little book. So if you'd like one, I'd love to... Help you get one for a donation to Northwest University, and I'll be in the atrium afterwards, and that's enough about that. Thank you for being so patient with this word from my sponsor. (laughs) Would you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and stand with me um, for the reading of God's word today. We're going to begin in verse 26, actually. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to speak on the theme, the Spirit of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas. Well, you may say, well, I don't want to talk about Christmas. I don't want to get there yet. I mean, couldn't you at least have the decency to wait till after Thanksgiving? And, and the, <laughs> um, I got to say, this is not that. Uh, if, you're, if you don't like hearing Christmas music early, you don't like seeing the lights going up and all that stuff, this is not that. This is not about catch. This is not about tradition. This is not about you being home with your family. This is about what Christmas is about. And it's a spiritual theme, and I want to talk to you about the spirit of Christmas. And I think that this message is going to change the next two months for you. I hope it changes your life. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, listen to the word of God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. May God bless the reading and hearing of His Word today. Amen. You can be seated. As I read this passage anew, I saw something that surprised me. In thinking of this passage, the word that has always kind of rung the hardest in my mind was the word overshadow you. And I've always thought of this um, passage in terms of that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit on Mary, but as I thought about it, I thought about the overshadowing, not so much about the Holy Spirit. As I read it again, I saw the prominence of this phrase, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. But this time, I saw the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christmas. You've heard about the Christmas spirit your whole life. Maybe hearing the phrase, the Christ, a Christmas spirit, might make you think of Charles Dickens and the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas future. But that ha, doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. None of that ever came about until Dickens wrote it. It has nothing to do with the Bible. That's not the spirit of Christmas. Now, probably you think when you hear the phrase spirit of Christmas about a certain feeling that you get in the winter. On those short, dark winter days, you think of bright colors, bright attitudes, bright generosity, bright lights twinkling at night. You think of that certain giddiness that comes about celebrating Christmas in the middle of the winter solstice when the days are cold and dark and long. And that's a beautiful feeling. But that isn't the spirit of Christmas either. The spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is the main actor in the story of the first Christmas. We've already seen in the passage we've just read that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. When he came upon Mary, he overshadowed her with the power of God. Uh, and through that action of the Holy Spirit, Mary conceived in her womb the baby Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the prime actor in Mary's pregnancy. But that's not the only thing that the Holy Spirit did in the first Christmas. We also, at reading the story, we see even before the angel appears to Mary, the angel appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah the priest doesn't have any children, but the angel comes and promises him a son. 
And just before, when the son is born, and they ask him what the child's name is, it says the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah, and Zechariah prophesied about the role that his son would have in being the forerunner of the Messiah of Israel. And he talked about how he would be a light to the nations, how Jesus would be a light to the nations and a glory to Israel. And so once again, the Holy Spirit came upon Zechariah and gave him witness to the Christ. Then he appears to Mary, and Mary becomes pregnant. It also says that Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, when she went to visit Mary after the pregnancy, she went to visit Mary, and the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth, and the child that was in her womb leaped with joy. Zechariah had promised, or the angel had promised Zechariah that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And so as Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, what does she do? She breaks out in prophecy, bearing witness to what is going to happen. And then finally, after the child is born, they take him to the temple to be presented. There's an old man in the temple named Simeon. Simeon is a godly man, and he is a prophet. And it says that in the text that the Holy Spirit moved Simeon to go to the temple on that special day. He went there, moved by the Holy Spirit, and when he got there, he met the Christ child that he had been waiting for his whole life. And what did he do when he met the Christ child? He broke out in prophecy, declaring the role that this child would have. And you see in these four major characters in the Christmas story, four of the major actors in the Christmas story, it was because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because the power of God came on them to bear witness of the salvation of God. It's interesting. Two of the witnesses are women and two of the witnesses are men. Luke is the most feminist theologian in the whole New Testament. (laughs) Luke loves the fact that the Holy Spirit fills women. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, he's going to remind us all that Joel prophesied it, that God would pour out his Spirit on sons and daughters. And here in equal measure, but greater measure to the women because nobody could have have reproduced what Mary did. The women and the men are equally in number serving as testimony, serving as bearers of the witness of Christ. (laughs) You know, bearing witness is, in in Greek, it's the word martureo. It's the word we get our word uh, martyr from. And the witness that Mary bore was the Christ child himself. He was the martyr. He was the one who would die for our sins. She bore witness in the most powerful way anybody ever could. But the only way she could have done it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. In all of these things, the Holy Spirit has earned the title Spirit of Christmas. He's got lots of titles. He's the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Spirit of holiness. He's the Spirit of, the spirit of power. But he's also the Spirit of Christmas. It's interesting in John chapter 14 when Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. First the Holy Spirit sent Jesus, right? 
Now Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with us. He said this, when the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will bear witness about me. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do more than anything else. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit's role is. Ever since Jesus was born, the Holy Spirit focuses on this mission of giving people power so that they can be witnesses of the Christ. That's his main job. That is the main thing the Holy Spirit fills us to do so that we can give witness and powerful witness to Christ. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Luke is going to say this in the mouth of Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this is a beautiful parallel in Acts chapter 1 with what happened in Luke chapter 1. Remember that Luke and Acts are the same author. They're the same author. It's volume 1 and volume 2. And so in the first volume... Mary, the Holy Spirit comes on Mary, power of God overshadows her, and she bears the Christ child. In in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit will come on the believers, Jesus says. They will receive power, and they will bear witness. Just like the Holy Spirit worked on Mary, the Holy Spirit wants to work on us. Mary is a wonderful role model. She said, do unto me as you have spoken. She said, do do it, Lord, through me. And that same attitude of Mary, that same obedient humility that says, Lord, let me be a vessel of testimony for you, is exactly the attitude that every one of us needs to have. That we are willing for the Holy Spirit to overshadow us in power. We're willing for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and we're willing to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. Now, witnesses are very special. Witnesses do not tell what they have heard. That's not what witnesses do. Can you imagine yourself going to court? Will the witness please be seated? Have you sworn in the witness? Yes. Okay. Sir, on the morning of September 1st, were you at the corner of 1st Avenue and 2nd Street? Well, no, I was not. But I know what happened there. Well, sir, how do you know what happened there? Well, I heard somebody say what happened. Well, the judge would say, get that witness out of here. That's not a witness. He didn't see anything. That's what you call hearsay. That's an invalid witness. Witnesses don't tell what they've heard. Witnesses tell what they have seen. And you know, when Jesus says here, I will give you power to be witnesses, He's not talking about you here, talking of you saying something you heard. He's talking about you experiencing the reality of Christ in your own life so that your own life becomes the word of testimony that you share. 
It's your own healing that you share out of. It's your own revelation that you share on. It's your own salvation that you share on. It's your own empowerment that you share on. Boy, I love to tell people what Jesus is doing in my life. I love to tell people what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And that's why he gives us power. So that we can experience Jesus. And so that we can tell others what we have seen and heard. Nothing is more powerful than a person who has seen Jesus. Nothing's more powerful than a person who has a story of their own to tell. And so the problem is many people feel like they don't know enough to be good witnesses. You ever have felt like that? I just don't really understand it quite well enough, you know. And, it, and then you get some jive preacher up here talking about the Greek text. And it makes everybody feel like they can't understand the Bible, right? It's an awful thing. People feel like they don't have enough knowledge to share. I don't, I don't, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What if, what if you know, I don't understand theology I, I don't read the Bible that much or haven't, don't read it. A lot, of, a lot of times I read it and I don't even really understand some of it. People come up with this idea that they just don't know enough. But then, then there are these others who feel ashamed to bear witness because they don't feel worthy to be witnesses of Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, if God had to work only with worthy witnesses, we'd be in the world hurt. I mean, truth is, none of us are worthy to, to, to tell the Christ story. But boy, the Holy Spirit sure is. <laughs> and the trick is let the Holy Spirit speak through us. Because he's worthy to tell the story. And you may have committed sins, you may, you may be in a situation that's difficult for you, but there's so many people so many people tell me the story of how they got saved and then found out the person that witnessed to them wasn't walking right with God and it made no impact on them at all <laughs> because they didn't get saved because somebody um some unworthy person told them the story they get saved because the holy spirit made it real to them that's what will bring people to Jesus and if you if you want, to t you want to look at worthy witnesses, yeah. You want to look at worthy witnesses, consider the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. They're the first witnesses of Christmas. Were they worthy witnesses? Well, there's this urban myth out there in the church um, that shepherds were not considered worthy witnesses. The story goes that there, there's, uh, there are statements in Jewish literature of a couple of centuries after Jesus that Jews did not consider the testimony of shepherds to be valid in court. And I've even heard people say that, that no one would have made up the story that shepherds were the first witnesses because shepherds were not considered worthy witnesses. That is an urban myth. Have you ever heard that? That nobody, nobody received the word of shepherds, that shepherds weren't allowed to testify in court. That is absolutely false that shepherds were not considered trustworthy witnesses. As a matter of fact, 
we, we read in, Gen- in Genesis that the Egyptians did not like shepherds. You remember? And so the it, people of Israel had to live in Goshen because Israel, the, the, the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. But the Israelites loved shepherds. As a matter of fact, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of the patriarch of Israel, are notably shepherds. That's how they earned their wealth. That was the background that the whole nation of Israel came out of. And because the patriarchs themselves are shepherds, shepherds were seen in good light. As a matter of fact, David, the father of the Jewish royal line, the father of the future Messiah, the greatest king of all Israel's history, the one who ruled over their golden age, David was a shepherd. And the Bible is not ashamed to tell us that David was a shepherd. As a matter of fact, we all kind of glory in the fact that David was a shepherd. And as a matter of fact, he was considered the shepherd of Israel, not just of sheep. As a matter of fact, as David begins to write the Psalms, he writes beautiful things like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And on and on. Another beautiful text says, We are the sheep of his pasture. He is our God and we are the people of his pastor and the sheep of his hand. So God is a shepherd according to the Old Testament. And Jesus himself called himself the great shepherd. And churches from the very beginning of the church, from the very beginning of the early church, have called their leader pastor, which means shepherd. And who were the early church? Jews. Jews didn't have any problem with shepherds until after the Jesus message got really rolling. And then there's some evidence that they didn't quite trust shepherds so much. As a matter of fact, these shepherds may have ruined it for everybody. <laughs> but these shepherds were not effective. The shepherds that received the angelic visit, they weren't effective because of their merit because they were such great people because they knew so much theology as a matter of fact I doubt any of them knew very much theology at all Um, but they sure got the job done this episode of the shepherds declares that God is pleased with those who bear witness to what he has done the beautiful text Luke 2 14 glory to God in the highest and peace on earth To those upon whom God's favor rests. It's a a beautiful story. As a matter of fact, I want to read you the whole story of the shepherds. Because there's an important point in here. It says in Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, in cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. To those on whom his favor rests. We're going to come back to that verse. When the angel had left them 
and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, what does this text mean that says, where it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests? What does that mean? Who does God's favor rest on? Now, the King James translation of this is not quite so clear. And we all know it from the Christmas carols that we sing. But in the King James, it says, um, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And the way I always understood that, that, that phrase was goodwill towards everybody. <laughs> you know, that Jesus has come and God has brought peace to the world and so God's favors on everyone. Is that true? <laughs> well, I mean, it's the offer of God's grace has happened. But is it true that God's favors on everyone was God's favor on Herod? Well, it clearly wasn't. He had an opportunity. He should have accepted the, the new, newborn king. He should have repented and given his heart to God. He could have had God's favor, but in fact he didn't. And what he did was try to kill all the babies in Bethlehem there, the boy babies. God's favor doesn't rest on everyone. Who does it rest on? Who does God's favor rest on? I believe the Bible is pretty clear that God's favor rests on people who believe the message of salvation in Christ. The shepherds believed what they heard. But that's not all. Now, first of all, if you're going to please God, it, it takes faith, right? God is not impressed with anything in the world except faith. Those who want to come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Belief comes first. The shepherds believed what they'd heard. They took a step one towards the favor of God. The second thing is they went to Christ and experienced his glory. Step one is believing. Step two is having an experience, an encounter with Jesus. You don't get saved because you heard a message and believed what it was. You get saved because you have an encounter with Jesus through that message. You know, it's not enough to say, yes, that's true. You need an encounter with the Lord. That's how you get born again. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. He changes you from the inside. You become a brand new creature. It's like it's your birthday that day you get saved. It's your spiritual birthday. It's like Christmas all over again. The Holy Spirit comes on you. And your spirit comes alive in a brand new way. So the first thing is to believe the message. The second thing to get God's favor is to experience the Christ. And then the third thing is they went and told everyone what they'd seen and heard. Who does God's favor rest on? It rested on the shepherds. The shepherds believed. They experienced Christ. And they went and told everyone what they'd experienced. But this Christmas, I hope that we will tell everyone 
about what we've seen and heard. I hope God's favor will rest on us greatly this Christmas. You know, when I wrote my book, I I wanted people to get the most out of Christmas, especially my friends and donors that I was writing the book for. I really wrote this book for my friends, and that's you. Goodness, nobody's been better friends to me as a church than you have. But I wanted my friends to get the most out of Christmas. And as I wrote the book, I realized you get the most out of Christmas when you tell people about it. You get the most out of Christmas when you're sharing the Christmas message with people. When you're explaining to people the reason for the season. When you're telling people why you're excited about Christmas. And it's not just that because your kids are coming home. You know, the old beautiful old song says, I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. There'll be snow and mistletoe and presents neath the tree. <laughs> okay, you know, that's not what Christmas is about at all. <laughs> you read the Christmas story, none of the heroes of Christmas were home. None of them. Mary wasn't home. She was out on the road. Didn't even, couldn't even find a place to stay. Joseph wasn't home. He was with Mary. Jesus wasn't home. He'd come all the way from heaven to be here. The shepherds weren't home. The shepherds left the sheep out in the field and came. The wise men went home. They weren't home. They, matter of fact, they got there so late they hardly even belonged to Christmas. But they got there and they weren't home. None of the heroes of Christmas were home. You know who was home? Herod was home. Remember that evil innkeeper? There is no innkeeper in the Bible, by the way. It's never mentioned. There's no innkeepers. Matter of fact, there's not even an inn. <laughs> there was no room, it says, in the guest rooms. <laughs> in the guest room, in the lodging house. Uh, there, there, was, there was no room for any, anybody. You know who the evil innkeeper was? It was every person in Bethlehem who had a home and didn't take Mary into it. It was the whole town. The evil innkeepers, the whole town. And guess what? They're the villains of Christmas because they didn't take that pregnant woman into their home. In their society, in their culture where hospitality was such a highly prized virtue, where there weren't hotels for them to stay in, everyone in that town had a duty to take that poor woman into their home. And nobody did it. They were all home. Christmas has nothing to do with being home. Christmas has everything to do with being on a sacred mission to reach the lost wherever they are. We will get the most out of Christmas. We'll get the most out of Christmas when we share the message. And that's why I wanted to live 40 days, 40 different messages to give people something to share this Christmas with others. 40 days of novel reflections on Christmas. But that's not enough. You don't want to be hearsay testimony. You don't want to just be telling what you heard or what you read or what, so, what happened to somebody else. Christmas ought to be about you telling every one of your neighbors, every one of your friends what Jesus means to you. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's the one who comes alongside of us. He is our advocate. He is the one who wants to come and empower us to be the witnesses 
and the heroes of Christmas. Would you stand with me? Thank you for standing. I had you stand because now I want you to step. I want you to just come forward and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to anoint us for Christmas like never before. I want the Holy Spirit to turn this whole house into an army for Christmas. An army of testimony. An army of power. An army anointed by the power of God to tell everyone what Christmas really is and why it's the most wonderful time of the year. In Jesus' name, would you come forward? If, you're, if you come forward, you're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me this Christmas. Come fill the aisles, the, 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 the altar. Fill the aisles. Say, by moving out, you're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me this Christmas. Let me be more full of your presence than ever before. I have two months, Lord. I've got November and I've got December and a little of January that people will be focused on Christmas. Lord, would you make me a, a, a witness to take the message, to take the word of God to them. Step out from where we are. Press in. Come all the way in. Press in so others can come behind you. Fill the altar, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to fill it as well, touching every one of us. Now, I want to ask you, if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is the perfect opportunity for you to receive it, for you to receive from the Holy Spirit boldness and power and the gift of tongues to go with it all. In the name of Jesus, receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Begin to praise the Lord. There where you are, begin to praise Him. Begin to praise the Lord. Begin to uh, open your heart to God. Give Him thanks for everything He's done in your life. In the name of Jesus, receive the, the infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses of Christ all this year. In the name of Jesus. And there, begin to speak in tongues. If you've never done it before, begin to speak. Hallelujah. Receive the power of God. Receive the Holy Spirit to fill your life, to fill your mouth, to make you an effective witness for Christ, to make this the greatest Christmas you've ever seen. Begin to speak in tongues. If you've never spoken in tongues, you can begin right now as the Holy Spirit comes on you. Begin to speak. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. Receive God's empowering. Receive God's fullness. Oh, Jesus, make this, make this whole congregation. Portavoces, Señor. Carriers of the word. Carriers of the testimony. Fill them. Empower them. And put the word of God in their mouth. That like the apostles on the day of Pentecost, like Peter standing up, boldly declared the word of the Christ. Let them boldly declare the message of Jesus this year. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, let this be the greatest Christmas of harvest that Bethesda has ever seen. Lord, I pray the anointing of God to be on every Christmas program that is done here, whether it be in the school, whether it be done from the children, whether it be done by the choir, every, by, whether it be done by drama, no matter how it's done, Lord, every presentation of Christmas this year, let it be graced with your power. Let it de deliver the message of Christ and let people turn from their sins and come to new life in Jesus in this church. Let it be the greatest harvest this church has seen. Oh, Lord Jesus, move in this place. Bless this church. Fill them with your power. 
Give them brand new experiences that they can share, Lord Jesus. I pray for sick people among us, Lord Jesus. People who have been suffering now maybe for weeks or even months or even years with a chronic disease or with one that has just come upon them in the name of Jesus. Heal them right now, Lord, by your power that they might leave this place whole, that they might leave this place rejoicing, that they might have a new story to tell of the grace and glory of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, if there's anyone in this place who has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, in the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to them even now as I am speaking to them. And I want to say to you, if you've not received Jesus, He loves you, He forgives you, He wants you. Right now, in Jesus' name, just say yes to Him. That's all you got to do. Just say yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Just say yes. That's the secret to it all. Just say yes to God. In the name of Jesus, say yes to God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. They can be wiped away. All you've got to do is say yes, Jesus. Yes, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I receive you. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, move in our midst. Glorify yourself among us. Let us see the very power of God. In Jesus' name.